You're listening to Nightlight. Hi, and welcome to Nightlight. This week, coming to you from the Mrugavani Resort, about 20 miles outside of Hyderabad in India. I've been here for the last four days attending a wonderful conference, retreat, fellowship, teaching seminar. The main speaker has been Renato Amato from Italy. He's here with me in my hotel room where we're going to hold the interview. Nightlight's interview of the week. First of all, Renato, let me thank you for your part in making this such a wonderful seminar for all you've been able to share. And I'm thrilled that you've been able to come onto the show and share with our listeners whatever the Lord lays on your heart to share. First of all, maybe you could introduce yourself and tell us about your ministry and your journey. Thank you, Simon, for inviting me to Nightlight, a show that I love to listen to often. It's a real privilege and honor to be able to speak to the listeners. My name is Renato. I'm Italian. I've been invited to speak at this conference because I had the blessing to be able to train some of the organizers of this event in my Christian coaching school. I actually train Christian life coaches, and that's what I do. And uh, one of the students, it was the organizer of this event, so he invited me to come from Italy to India and uh, speak to the people that attended this event. It was a real special blessing for me to be back in India after 29 years because uh, my wife and I, we spent uh, many years here in the sub Indian subcontinent as missionaries from 1976 up until 1988. And so we, we work in this area in surrounding countries uh, as missionaries for during that time. I've been living in Italy now since um, 20 years now. First 20 years we were traveling around the world, working in different countries as missionaries. And then in the last 20 years, I've been working mainly in Italy and Europe. It's been now almost 10 years since I've become a Christian life coach and been training also Christian life coaches that will uh, help others move along in their journey of life. And in fact, I like to think of life as a journey. All of us, each one of us is um, on this journey of discovery. Uh, actually, the way I picture this journey is like a train. You know, I often picture life as a train that comes from a very long distance. And then at one station I was born and I uh, got on this train. And there I met first my mother and father and my siblings and my family. As the journey went on, I met friends, then schoolmates, teachers who had been on this journey longer than I had. And as the journey went on, I experienced joys, the joy of my family and my friends. And then suddenly, one of my grandparents died and got off that train. And there I experienced pain. The loss of a loved one is always a painful event. I think all of us have experienced that pain at certain stages of our lives. For me, it was an early stage where I started to wonder what was the purpose of this journey. Yes, you got on the strain at a certain time when you were born, but then sooner or later you have to get off this train. And then I started to think, where is this train taking me? 
why I got on this train and where is it going? Instead of having all these questions about the purpose of this journey. And that was a very early age. I always asked myself, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And what's the purpose of it all? Train, train, come and take me home. Train, train, come and take me home. There'll be no sorrow. There will be no pain. Train, train, come and take me home. Train, train, come and take me home. Nani knows I lose him no And him again, you again, you got one child, I'm unknown. Natchezula, Livanyama, Tim Kamayaji, get on a gym, Kati Chank Sabakwem, Kamakatona Wang, what did they go? Kuba, Olugano Wang, Kalu, where is the Kalium Kamwa? Train, train, come and take me home. Train, train, please come and take me home. There'll be no sorrow, there will be no pain. There'll be singing all night, all day long.
That's one of my favorite songs from Richard Kowesa from Uganda. That song in both Luganda and English. Train, train. Feeling all right while listening to Nightlight. Renato, I really liked your analogy of life being like a train journey. Tell us, how did your journey continue? Tell us about your parents, about your family. I grew up in a family that was not practicing Christians, you know. Italy is a Catholic country, some are more practicing, but most of the Italians, they perhaps go to church only when there is like a funeral or somebody getting married or... My parents were not church attendees, so I didn't get a Christian education as I was growing up. And so I had uh, all these questions about the meaning of life and the purpose of life, but I didn't have any answer. My parents didn't have any answers for me. Neither my teachers had any answers. So I was left on my own searching for an answer. And so when I was the age of 14 and I started my high school, senior high school, that was 1968. 1968 was the year that I started my senior high school and it was a year when young people and young students all over the world were rebelling against society, especially in the West. Probably started out in the in America with the young people rebelling against the war in Vietnam and a lot of them didn't want to go to war so they were for peace and they started a peace movement and I was very much impacted by that uh, movement at the early age of 14 in Europe also the same year uh, a lot of young people started to rebel against the contradiction of society in general and I became very much involved in that 1968 rebellion, youth rebellion. And then I started listening to the rock music. Um, By the age of 15, I started to go to concerts with my friends, concerts of famous bands that would come from England or from the United States to play in Italy, and they would fill up stadium. And I loved music and I loved that type of environment where all these young people would be gathering together. But then those ideals that we had of peace, and uh, love, and justice, and freedom. Very soon they, they degenerated because of the drugs that infiltrated our generation. Those ideals became sex, drugs, and rock and roll, <laughs> which uh, was a totally degeneration of the pure ideals that I started with. And so I got involved with the drug scenes. At the age of 16, I, I was at the at the rock festival and somebody gave me the very strong dose of uh, LSD, which uh, basically devastated my life. After that, I had no more interest in studying or becoming a, an architect. My, my father was in the construction business, so he wanted me to become an engineer or architect or somebody that could help in the construction business, but I had no interest at all in that. And that's the dangers of drugs. And the danger is that after a while you just don't have any more motivation to reach certain goals because you feel that was the purpose of that, you know? So basically, I started out uh, reading books, 
reading philosophy books, the more I got into this search and the more I lost interest in anything else until one day my father, he put me before a choice. He said, okay, either you going to take seriously the goal of becoming an architect or engineer and uh, apply yourself seriously to this, or if you want to do anything else I don't approve of, that's the door. That day I decided to pack up my backpack, my sleeping bag, and to leave home. And of course my father didn't give me any money, so because he thought, well, after one day or two he's going to come back. But actually I didn't come back home for one and a half year. I was basically on the road, experiencing life, meeting people, reading books, and searching for the truth. After one and a half year, I found myself at 1,600 kilometers from my hometown. I hadn't called home. I was totally angry. I was sitting in a, on a bench in a park in Sicily. My parents lived in the north of Italy, near France, near the border of France. And I was down in, uh, in Sicily, which is far away, on the other side of the country. And I was sitting on this bench, totally devastated, because uh, one of the persons that I met, that I made friends in that park, had just died the night before with an overdose of heroin. And uh, again, this, the fact that someone that I knew had just died brought back that quest. You know, why do people have to get off this train at a certain point. So I basically launched out a challenge. I say, whoever is out there, give me a reason for living or I will take out my life because it doesn't make sense. And a few minutes later, a young girl came up to me and said, um, my mom is inviting you for lunch. And that was amazing to me because, uh, you know, I was a hippie, I had long hair. And usually those of the older generation they wouldn't even come near us because we were kind of scary for them. This lady, which was about the age of my mom, she invited me for lunch and treated me as a son. And she took me in her house, treated me like a son. And, uh, and as we were having lunch together, she asked me to tell her my story. And just a story that I've been telling you, when I came to the point where I was sitting at the bench, she asked me, so what do you want to do now? What are you going to do now? Honestly, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't even have the, the courage, you may say, to tell her, well, I'm thinking of taking off my life. She asked me that question, what are you going to do now? And uh, the first thing that came to my mind was, I will travel to India. I had a sense that one day I would come to India, but I said, I will travel to India. And she said, why would you go to India? It's so far away. And I said, well, I heard that in India there are enlightened people that perhaps they can give me an answer, give me a reason to live, to go on with life. And she smiled and she said, well, India is far away. You don't have to go that far to find that answer. And so I was really puzzled. I said, well, do you know any enlightened people here in Sicily that I can talk to and maybe he can guide me and give me a purpose for living? And she smiled and she said, yes, I know Jesus. Like I said, I don't come from a Christian family or from a practicing Christian family, so I only heard about Jesus and I seen him depicted on the cross. But for me, it was like just a historical figure. And so I said, how can a, 
a man who lived 2,000 years ago give me an answer today in what I'm searching for? And she smiled and she said, he, you know, Jesus on the cross he died, but three days later he rose again and he's alive today. And I said, he's alive again and where is he? And he said, she said, uh, well, he's everywhere. I speak to him, whatever I am. And so I was kind of teasing her and saying, oh yeah, you speak to him and does he speak to you? And she said, yes. So what did he told you today? And she said, well, he told me to look out the window. Do you see the boy sitting on that bench? Invite him for lunch. I was really incredibly shocked by that answer because on that bench, I sent out a challenge saying, whoever is out there, give me a reason for living. And this lady is telling me that someone that she called Jesus had told her to look out the window and to invite me for lunch. So when this lady told me that Jesus told her to invite me for lunch, I knew that she couldn't know that on that bench I sent out a challenge saying, anyone out there, give me a reason for living. And so for me, it was a connection there. And I didn't know how to process it in my mind at that time. So I just got up to leave saying, thank you for the lunch. That was very kind of you, but I need to go now. She realized that I felt uncomfortable and that there was a struggle in, inside of me. But she stopped me and she said, you know, I can't keep you here if you need to go. But I just want to tell you something else that Jesus has put in my heart. I think it's time for you to go back home because your mom has suffered long enough. I am a mom and I can't imagine the pain of having a son that I don't know where he is, whether he's alive or whether he's dead, not giving any news. It's time for you to go home, son. And so she opened uh, her bag and she pulled out the money that inside, she didn't count the money, she just put it in my hand and said, just promise me you're not going to use it for any drugs, but you're going to use it to go and visit your mom. And I said, okay. I thanked her, I put her in my pocket and I left. And as I was walking out of that house and start walking on the street, I, there was like a tug of war inside of me. There was one voice telling me, don't pay attention, she's just a, a nut. It's just a coincidence. And another voice that was telling me, well, you send out a challenge. You've had a demonstration uh, that there is someone who loves you and cares for you. What are you going to do about it? And so as I was doing this uh, processing in my mind and my heart, I find myself in before the station, the train station. So I went up to the ticket counter and I asked how much would be a ticket to go to my hometown, which was 1,600 kilometers away. And I was told the amount in Italian lira, at that time we didn't have euro, we had Italian lira, and it was 8,200 lira. And this was at the beginning of 1973. Today, 8,200 lira would be like almost like under 50 euro. And uh, it was a lot of money for me. But I put my hand in my pocket and I counted the money and it was exactly 8,200 lira. I didn't even have time to think about it. The man gave me the ticket and said, hurry, the train is about to leave. So all of a sudden I got on this train and all of a sudden I realized that my search was over and that I was going back home. 
So I sat in a train compartment and I realized that with the money the lady had given me a little note with a Bible verse and I had never read the Bible before but it was a, a verse from the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that moment I broke out in tears. Those words spoke to my heart in a deep way that no philosophical books had ever spoken to me. I remember as, we, as the train was traveling, it was like a 23-hour journey, and I fell asleep. And as I was sleeping, I had this dream where I saw a man carrying a cross up a hill, and he kept falling under this cross, and I was in the crowd watching, and I turned around the people around me and said, but that cross is too heavy for him. There's no way that he can carry it up the hill. At that moment, he got up again with that cross. He turned towards me and he looked at me in my eyes and he said, this cross, it's all your burdens, all the weight that you've been carrying, all the pain, all the hurts, I've been carrying it for you. So you don't have to carry it. Come and follow me. And I woke up from that dream and I had a inside of me that deep awareness that Jesus was real. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And He was calling me to follow Him. So when I got to my hometown and I got off the train, the first thing I did, I looked for a church and I found a Bible. I asked for a Bible and then I went back home. When my mom opened the door and she saw me, she fainted. And afterwards she told me that she thought I was dead. My concern that my father would still be angry with me disappeared when he came back home and took me into his arms and, and he told me how much they had been suffering because I didn't give them any news. So I was back home now with the knowledge that Jesus loved me, he cared for me, like he cared for the bird in that park. And I had the, now the, the Bible, which was a guiding light for my life. Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? There was a man who had two sons. One wanted to leave. He said he'd take his inheritance and do as he pleased. The younger son got it all together and journeyed away To waste his life in riotous living, playing foolish games When he had spent all their came, a famine in the land He began to be in want with nothing left in his hand he went to work for a local farmer Feeding the swine Living on the husks of the world And no longer drinking wine Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone?
the servants have enough to eat And I'm dying all alone I'll arise and go to my father And say unto him Father, I have sinned against heaven Please take me in Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son His father saw him coming And rejoiced inside Called his servants to prepare a feast Bring out the new wine Oh, let us sing and let us be merry He's now safe and sound My son was dead and is alive again Was lost and is found Let us sing and let us be merry He's now safe and sound My son was dead and is alive again was lost and is found Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son 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 Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? And that's Jerry Palladino with a nice, fresh new version of Jeremy Spencer's song, Prodigal Son. You're right. It's Nightlight. And you're listening to a special edition of Nightlight coming to you from my room at the beautiful Mrugavani Resort just outside Hyderabad in the great country of India, a land which I love uh, very dear to my heart as it was the field that the Lord first called me to shortly after I got saved and left my home country of the UK to go into all the world as a missionary. And I started in Christian radio here in 1976. Every now and then I love to come back and catch up with old friends and this is the second time in the last few years that I've attended this annual Connect retreat. The guest speaker this year has been Renato Amato and he's also our guest on this edition of Nightlight and sharing with us his story. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Renato, just as a matter of interest before you go on with your story, did you ever go back to find out who that lady was that gave you the lunch? Well, um, Simon, a couple of years after this experience, I took a vacation and I went down to Sicily to go and thank this lady for turning my life around and putting me on the right, right track. But um, I couldn't find her. You know, I never asked her for her last name or f even the first name because, you know, I was just invited for lunch and she called me son and 
I called her mom <laughs> and uh, I didn't know her name. I just went to look for her. But even the neighbors in that area, they didn't remember this lady. So still today, I have a question mark in my mind whether she was a human being or some angelic being, I don't know. I guess I'll find out one day. And she will find out what an impact she had in my life just by simply looking out the window of her life, seeing someone seated on a bench, inviting me home, and basically listen to my story and asking me questions about what I want to do with my life. And that has become a pattern for me, a model, because uh, later on in my Christian coaching experience, I often think about the importance of not just caring for ourselves, not just looking inside of ourselves, but looking outside the window of our life and looking around ourselves to see if there is anyone who's stuck somewhere, sitting on a bench, wondering what is life all about, or waiting for a train to come around to take them to a destination that they don't know, or, or maybe that they do know, but they don't know how to get there. And so often I think of what I'm doing today. I'm someone who's looking outside the window, finding people sitting on the bench of life, and inviting them into my home, into my friendship, where I just fellowship with them and listen to their story and ask them questions that will help them to get on the right track of life. Just like that lady did with me, is that what I'm doing today with others. Because life is all about love. Love is not about just um, pursuing our own personal goals and trying to gratify ourselves. But I think the real meaning of life is to look outside of ourselves and see what we can give, what we can contribute to the life of others, to help them move along in their lives. And that will fill our life with meaning. Like someone said a long time ago, there used to be a song that I used to listen to, the way to be happy is to make others happy and then happiness will find you. And I found that to be so profound and so true. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. And yes, you're listening to an international edition of Nightlight coming to you from a resort just outside Hyderabad in India. So if you hear kids playing outside, music playing, that's because we're at a resort. And I'm interviewing Renato Amato, amazing testimony, uh, Renato. But tell us now, you could just maybe briefly take us through the next 20 or more years of your life in which you were a missionary in so many countries of the world and take us on to the next big crisis point in your life when you had a heart attack. So after I came back home and I finished my studies and I decided to become a missionary, I met my wife. In 1976, we got married, Patricia and I. And uh, we were very young then. I was uh, 22 and she was not 19 yet. And we got married and we had the desire to go to India as missionaries. So the summer of 76, we traveled through the Middle East, went through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and landed in Delhi. And during that journey, we found out that there was a lot of 
Western young people that were traveling on the same route to India, looking for an answer to their life quest. As we were traveling with these people and meeting these people during the journey, and we were able to share with them about Jesus, the answer that we had found, we decided to dedicate our mission to help these young people find an answer for their lives in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. After a few months that we were in India, then we started to realize that there was a great need in this subcontinent for missionaries. And so my wife and I decided to stay on in the subcontinent. And up until 1988, we were in this area, helping with different projects, helping with undernourished children. We were engaged in different missions. And finally, we moved on to Southeast Asia. And then from Southeast Asia, after a couple of years, we went to the Eastern Europe and we worked in some of the former communist countries. Until 1996, we came back in Italy because of some health issues that we had to take care of. And at that moment, I went through a first identity crisis because I had always seen myself as a missionary. And so for me, being a missionary meant to be in a poor country outside of the West. So being back in Italy, I felt, what am I doing here? But because we had to remain there because of these health issues that we had to take care of, the Lord had to change my mindset and help me to realize that I was a missionary no matter what I was. In fact, every one of us who know Jesus Christ, we are on a mission for life because no matter where we are, there's going to be somebody who needs Jesus. And so I realized I could continue to be a missionary in my own country. And so for about 10 years, we, we were pastoring a local community of believers in the area of Rome. For me, it was like a, a 24-7 engagement. I was engaged in that mission day and night, and I didn't spare myself until one day I had a heart attack. My wife saw me being taken away with the ambulance and she had to drive with her car, trying to catch up with the ambulance and come to the hospital. And, and I understand that when you had that heart attack, you actually died. Yeah, it was a, like a real miracle because when I had the heart attack, we were just driving back from visiting some uh, the people that attended our, our community. And we had gone to visit them that night. And it was 11 o'clock at night and I was driving back home. As I was driving back home, I heard this pain in my chest and I was driving and I was on the highway. And it was a miracle of God that I was able to uh, stop the car by the side of the road and I asked my wife to, to drive instead of me. And uh, as I got out of the car to leave place to her to drive, I fell to the ground and she realized there was something seriously wrong with me. So she called the ambulance. By the time I got to the hospital, they wanted to take me immediately into the operation room. I wanted to wait for my wife. I said, no, I don't want to go in there until my wife arrives. They wanted me to sign the paper before I go in. And I said, no, don't wait, I want to see my wife. And they, they were saying, you know, we don't have much time. And I said, well, I won't go in until I see my wife because I was concerned that if something happened to me, at least I could say to my wife that I love her and I care for her. So she arrived, I prayed with her. I said, honey, 
whatever is going to happen to me, know that I've cherished every minute of our life together, and I love you. And then I went in. And uh, later on, the doctor said to my wife, he said, you know, if you would have waited only a few more minutes, we would have lost them. So they were able to operate. And as they were operating and they were inside my chest with all their tubes and everything, something happened that um, for some reason, the machines, they were not responding to the doctor instructions. <laughs> and uh, I was awake. And the doctor got very nervous. He was trying to tell me not to worry, but I was telling him not to worry. I said, doctor, I'm in God's hand. Just relax, do what you have to do. I'm okay. Afterwards, I was taken back, after they finished, I was taken back into the emergency unit. And so I asked if I could talk to my wife and my wife came in. I was trying to explain to her what had happened. And then all of a sudden I passed out. You know, I had that sense, uh, almost like I was sleeping, and then all of a sudden, I heard these big bangs on my chest. And I woke up and uh, I saw all these nurses and doctors around me, and they looked at each other and said, oh, we got him back. And I said, what happened? He says, well, we are lost you. Your heart has stopped beating. And in fact, later on, my wife told me that she was looking at the monitor and she saw Actually, my heart stopped beating, so they had to get my heart started again. And there I realized that, you know, I could be dead, but God was extending my life for a season, and so that I had to finish something that was not over yet. So how did this experience change your life? It changed in a very major way, because up until that moment, I always thought that my worth as a person would be my accomplishments. So even though I was a missionary, my works as a missionary, that was the worth that I felt I had as a person. So now I had to be in the hospital for a longer period of time where I had to go through a rehabilitation of my heart. And I had a, a new identity crisis where I felt totally worthless. I was used to be totally engaged in my mission 24-7. All of a sudden I had to lay there in the bed feeling like I'm doing nothing. And this doing nothing made me feel like I was nothing. All I could do while I was laying in, in bed was to talk to Jesus. And uh, as I was talking to him, I started to experience a new level of intimacy that I had never experienced before. All of a sudden I start hearing his voice speaking to my heart, comforting words such as, my son, what you do or what you don't do has nothing to do with your being a child of mine whom I love and care for. I love you ever since the foundation of the world and you are so important for me that I gave my life on the cross for you. How much worth that gives you. A lot of people, they measure their worth by their accomplishments. They don't realize that Worth is not something that you do, but it's, it really depends on what someone is willing to pay for whatever they buy. You know, you take this smartphone I'm holding in my hands right now. It has a price. And so how much I'm willing to pay for this is the worth that is being given to what I'm buying. And when I think of the fact that the Son of God was willing to pay with His blood and with His suffering on the cross for me, 
I realize how much worth I am. From that moment on, it was like an epiphany. You call it epiphany in English? I realized in that bed in the hospital that um, my life's worth was not my works, but was the fact that Jesus died for me, that he was willing to pay such a high price for me. Through that intimacy time that I had with him, he showed me that he loved me even since before I knew that he loved me. He loved me since I was born. In fact, uh, I was born in a family whose last name is Amato. And in Italian, Amato means loved. So I was born and I inherited my family's name, Amato, loved. And my parents were inspired to call me Renato. And uh, I used to hate that name. And in fact, until that moment in the hospital, I never want anybody to call me Renato. I always had some nicknames. Ever since I was young, I always uh, had a nickname that people would call me because I hated that name. And then in that intimate time, the Lord, he showed me the meaning of Renato. Because actually, Renato comes from the Latin Renato, which means reborn, born again. And if you will to split up the word into re, nato, re means king, nato means born. So not only I'm born again, but I'm born to become a king. In the future, in, the, in Christ's millennium kingdom on earth, we're going to be kings and queens and rulers in this world. That's my ultimate destiny. The fact that I've been given that name ever since I was born, for me was like a confirmation that Jesus had loved me all along and he had never left my side. He had cared for me just like he had cared for the little bird in the park. And in fact, the things that really had the greatest impact when I met the lady that invited me for lunch was not so the fact that she had invited me for lunch, but that when she told me that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, my first reaction was, well, I don't believe in Jesus, and I don't believe in God. At that moment, I said that. But the lady, she turned it around, and she looked at me in the eyes with, a, with an incredible compassion. And she said, you know, in this very moment, whether you believe in Him or not, it really doesn't make any difference for him because he believes in you. Jesus believes in you. God believes in you. So whether you believe in him, it doesn't make any difference for him because he believes in you. And that made me realize that God has a special purpose, a unique purpose for each one of us. No matter where we are, no matter what we are doing, no matter where we are born, in which country, in which social status, God has special purpose for each one of us. The Bible says that in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. There are many verses in the Bible that says that God has called us by name even before we were born. And as I read my Bible, as I took that, uh, I actually took a, a one-year sabbatical year, of rest and recuperation for my heart 
rehabilitation. And during that time, I spent most of my time in prayer and intimate time. And the Lord uh, started to speak to me like He had never done before. So I started to journal, started to write down all the things that He was speaking to me. I started writing journal. And actually, as I journaled, I realized that I needed to share what God was speaking to me. So I opened the blog. And I actually have a blog for anyone that wants to visit. It's www.renatoamato.com. And anybody can visit that blog. And there is a journaling section there where I wrote a lot of the words of Jesus, the words from Jesus to me in that blog. And I also talk about coaching. Journaling and coaching became the two instruments and tools that I'm using today to be able to reach out to others and help them to realize how precious and valuable they are for the one who created them and has a purpose for them, a unique purpose, because every one of us is unique, just like our fingerprint. You know, in Italy, when you apply for a passport, they take an electronic fingerprint because you can uh, change a picture in a, in a passport, but you cannot change the fingerprint because there is no one else in the world who has your fingerprints. That means that even twins who look exactly the same, they don't have the same fingerprint. And that is because there is no one else in the world who can have the impact, the imprint that you can leave as a legacy in this world. You are unique as your fingerprint. And when God made you, He didn't copy you from someone else. He just made you exactly who you are. He chose the time and season in which you will be born, the generation in which you will be born, the country where you will be born. And all of this was chosen by your Creator for the purpose that He had in mind for your life, the purpose for you to fulfill in life. That has become the theme of my life, purpose. And that's what I do nowadays. I partner with a foundation in, uh, in Italy and I often go and speak in high schools where I speak to hundreds and thousands of high school students. And I tell them my story of when I was a high school student and the questions I had about life and uh, the journey that life has taken me through all the way until today and how I discover what my purpose in life is. And uh, I help these young people to work on their identity, work on their values, and work on their purpose, to be able to uh, write a life mission statement, a personal life mission statement, where they can declare who they are, what they're going to do, what difference they're going to make in this world through their contribution to a greater good. Because life is not about just uh, becoming famous or rich, pursuing after selfish goals, but the real meaning of life is to serve others, is to contribute to a better world. And we're all here to serve one another and to give that contribution to make the world around us a better place. So that's what I'm doing today. And it's been the most meaningful and fulfilling season of my life that I can take others from younger generation on their journey of discovery where they can envision their personal purpose for living and pursue it. 
Nightlight. What a delight! Well, let's break for another song, and this is one, Renata, that you yourself requested that we play. This is Jason Lawrence, and the song's called Friends. I've got so many friends I could never be alone And as I look at that cloud in the sky And I think of Just driving through this broken world Picking up strangers on my way And I'm making of them My friends for eternity Closer and closer every day Wait. 
picking up strangers on our way. That's an oldie from Jason Lawrence, Friends, a song which nicely sums up the fruits of your life's journey, Renato. I actually have to mention that we're actually friends meeting again after a very long time because you were telling me that you were there with me on a beach in Goa as we listened to my first ever radio broadcast coming from Sri Lanka on the All Asia service. I was there, yes, and in Christmas 1976. I remember we provided food for hundreds and hundreds of people in that Christmas. And then on that morning, you were listening to your radio program, and I was there listening with you. And it was a wonderful experience. And I don't think we haven't met since then. So it's been 41 years almost. 41 years, yeah. Yeah, my goodness. Nightlight. Renato, before we close, maybe you'd like to share the address of your website. I know there's so much more that you could have shared if there was more time, but I'm sure that you must have lots of resources on your website and, of course, on your blog. So my blog is uh, renatomato.com, but I also have a coaching website, which is called biblicalcoachingonline.com. So anybody that will visit either renatomato.com or biblicalcoachingonline.com will come to know what I'm doing and how I can serve them. And they can also, if they like, be able to enroll either in my coaching or the training that I provide to train life coaches. Those who want to become professional life coaches, they can enroll in the academy that um, gives me the possibility to train new life coaches. And it's all biblically based. All the principles of this training are biblical. So Christians will not have to wonder what are they going to learn in the school because it's all biblically based. And also I would like to give my personal email address. If people want to write me for questions, I would be more than happy to answer them. So they can write me at renato.coachtrainer at gmail.com. At the end of your seminar, Renato, you had everyone write down or journal, as you call it, their personal life goals or mission statement. And you also wrote yours. And maybe you'd like to share it with our listeners as we close. So as you saw me doing during the conference here, I made everybody work on their personal mission statement. And I conducted a workshop with everyone where everyone would look at their design that means their gifts and strengths, and then look at their experience of the acquired skills and lessons of lives and values they have embraced as a guiding light for, for their life. And then at the end, see the convergence of all of this, putting together their design and their experience and even their passion, the dream that God has placed in everyone's heart to go after, to be able to write a personal life mission statement so I'd like to share with your listeners my life mission statement, which is 
The purpose of my life is to be a man after God's own heart, who encourages, inspires, and equips through coaching and training those of the younger generations who are looking for purpose in life to have a passionate love for God and others and have an impact for good in the world around them. So the way to write a life mission statement is to declare who you are and what you're going to do to contribute to a greater good in the world around you. Because purpose is not about you. You know, you're not being called to serve yourself. You're being called to serve others. One day, when you will not be here anymore, the people will not remember your accomplishments. They will remember the impact that you had on them in your relationship with them. They will remember the way you treated them, how you interacted with them, the meaning that, and the value that you added to their lives. And my hope, when I will not be here in this world anymore, that people will remember me as a man after God's own heart who serve others to help them discover the love that God has for them and how they can contribute their love, the love that God has placed in their hearts to share with others and make a better world. Renato, thanks so much for the wonderful seminar that I've been blessed to be able to attend and for your testimony that you've shared with us on Nightlight. God bless you. Thank you so much, Simon, for giving me this chance to speak to your audience. And I really appreciate having met you here in India and having spent this time speaking with you and speaking to your public. Thank you so much. God bless you all. And I'll be back soon with another edition of Nightlight. Bye-bye. Nightlight.